You are so beautiful, my darling. So beautiful, and your dove eyes are veiled. By your hair as it flows and shimmers, like a flock of goats in the distance, streaming down a hillside in the sunshine. Your smile is generous and full, expressive and strong and clean. Your lips are jewel red, your mouth elegant and inviting. Your veiled cheeks soft and radiant. The smooth leaf lines of your neck command notice. All heads turn in awe and admiration. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle grazing among the first spring flowers. The sweet, fragrant curves of your body, the soft, spice contours of your flesh invite me, and I come. I stay until dawn breathes its light and night slips away. You're beautiful from head to toe, my dear love. Beautiful beyond compare. Absolutely flawless. Come with me, my Lebanon, my bride. Leave Lebanon behind and come. Leave your high mountain hideaway. Abandon your wilderness seclusion where you keep company with lions and panthers guard your safety. You've captured my heart, dear friend. You looked at me and I fell in love. One looked my way and I was hopelessly in love. How beautiful your love, dear, dear friend. Far more pleasing than fine, rare wine. Your fragrance more exotic than select spices. The kisses of your lips are honey, my love. Every syllable you speak to a delicacy to Savior. Your clothes smell like the wild outdoors, the ozone scent of high mountains. Thus ends the reading of the scripture. You may be seated. invite you to pray the words that are on the screen responsibly. May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you, upon hearing the scripture reading, are saying, is that really in the Bible? I've got to check that book out. <clears throat> and I actually asked 25 people before Andy finally agreed to do the scripture reading. <clears throat> he was the only one willing. And I've gotten a lot of feedback on this sermon already, and I haven't even preached it yet. <clears throat> Several of you uh, were very intrigued by the title and the text. Uh, I just wanted to show you a picture of me the first time I preached on the book of Song of Solomon. <clears throat> and this book really gets a bad rap. The next slide. As this woman says, I don't care if Solomon is king. I still say it's a dirty book. And then finally, for you guys that have always dreamed of having the Song of Solomon woman, uh, a recent archaeological find uncovered this photograph of her. <clears throat> That's what she would like, like if you took Solomon literally in his description of her beauty. It's said that Adam and Eve had the most perfect marriage in history because Eve could never talk about her old boyfriend and Adam could never brag about his mother's cooking. Today we conclude our mini-series, Desperate Households. Things are not always as they seem, like this guy. 
And no, it's not a stick up by artillery. He's just guiding that off a trailer. But things aren't always the way they seem in our relationships. For all of the hype, all of the coverage, all of the portrayals in our media, you would think that we would be the most sexually liberated culture, but instead, sociologists and psychologists are agreeing that we are, in fact, bound up. We are, in fact, uptight. We are fearful, and we're paying some severe consequences for our lack of freedom within the boundaries that God established. Things like Fifty Shades of Grey soon to come out in a movie, and television and movies and media, they're all normalizing a very secular and a very aberrant type of behavior when we think of sexuality. Newsweek magazine had an article, and I want to read a quote from that. If you're feeling scandalized by that scene, there was a scene in a movie that they were talking about, you probably haven't watched much television lately. TV sex has become more frequent and much more graphic in the past year thanks to a spate of new programs unafraid to show in startling detail what goes on behind its characters' closed doors. Or the Juno effect, when that movie came out a few years ago, Time magazine contained a very disturbing article about Gloucester High School in Massachusetts and the sudden explosion of teen pregnancies there. While one Gloucester graduate says she thinks the girls are looking for someone to love them unconditionally, Time journalist Kathleen Kingsbury hypothesized that the hit movies like Knocked Up and Juno have glamorized unwed mothers. Whatever the cause, media does affect, uh, does affect image and values. Or an article in the Seattle uh, paper a while back, more than three million girls have STDs. At least one in four teenage girls has a sexually transmitted disease which suggests a first-of-its-kind federal study that has some startling adolescent results, the experts say. And then a little later in the article, uh, STD experts say many teens are simply misinformed. Sexuality is still a very taboo uh, uh, subject in our society. Teens tell us that they can't make decisions in the dark and that adults aren't properly preparing them to make responsible decisions. And we know how sex sells just about everything. I was alarmed to find out that it even sells chewing gum. And if you flip open the cover to that, it says, hey you, we see you unwrapping us with your eyes. Everything is full of innuendo and sexuality in a very oversexed, sex-crazed culture in which we live. You have outlines that, uh, if they're helpful uh, to you, we'll be referring to those as we go along. If you've read the Bible through, you didn't get very far in reading it before you come to the topic of sexuality. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made men and women in his image. He created them uniquely different, corresponding to one another and then in Genesis chapter 2, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And, well, let's listen in on Adam and Eve for a moment.
where am I? And who are you? I... I don't know. I'm kind of new around here. Ah, me too. I'm Adam. And this... Well, this is the Garden of Eden. Oh, so, uh... What do you do around here? Well, I name things. <laughs> Plants, animals, stuff like that. <gasps> actually, I've, I got this real pain. It's, uh, it's in my... Uh, actually, I haven't named that one yet. Looks, uh, looks like a rib to me. <laughs> a rib? Yeah, good one. You know, you should probably leave the naming to me. It's kind of my department. Do it yourself. What's a toot? I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. But say, this, this place is pretty beautiful. If you, uh, you're in charge of naming things, how about I decide what they're for? What? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's not how it works. You see, I'm in charge here. I'm, I'm kind of the boss. And what I say goes. Since when? Since as long as I can remember. <laughs> tell you what, tell you what, uh, how about I name things, I'll tell you what they're for, and you can kind of, you know, pick up around the place. <laughs> so you mean like, dust the trees, uh -huh. wash the groundhogs, yeah. what am I, the maid? What's that? You men, you're all alike. Yeah? Yeah, well, you, uh, you unmen, you're all alike, too. Unmen? Now there's a stupid name. Yeah, well, you know what? I bet you'd have a real hard time getting along in this place without me. After all, we are all alone. You know, I bet you couldn't come up with a name for that feeling you have right now. Indescribable, strong feeling? Yes, I can. It's it's overpowering. It's something unlike I've ever felt before. It's it's a headache. <laughs> huh. What an interesting relationship. I know. I'll name it marriage. Then God made, made what? God made a woman. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, and Adam's response in the Living Bible is, wow, this is it. And I can imagine after he'd been going around the garden and so on, and huh, you look like a hippopotamus, and you look like a giraffe. And naming all the animals, finally getting exhausted and tired, he came up with shorter names, dog, cat. You know, all of a sudden, this beautiful creation of God appears before him. It's brought by the Lord, the Bible says. And he says, wow, this is it. I can imagine in today's parlance, Adam might have said, you've really out outdone yourself this time, God. She's fantastic. And then in verse 25, it says, they were both naked, 
but not ashamed nor embarrassed. I think the church has often created all sorts of guilt, all sorts of shame around sexuality. But God says there's to be no shame. Why? There's no reason to be ashamed because when you're in right relationship with God and you're in right relationship with one another, there is no guilt. There is no shame. I believe that God wants to bring us into right relationship with one another. That God wants to give us all the benefits that he created within our being for healthy relationships. You see, sex is God's idea, God's creation, God's gift to humankind. It's a good thing. And we have to ask, why? Why did God create sexuality? It seems like it creates so many problems. Let me make three suggestions from scriptures. The first one is to promote unity, to promote unity in a relationship. In Ephesians 5.31, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. A beautiful miracle, a beautiful mystery that we don't fully comprehend, that we don't fully understand. We get glimpses in our relationships but we don't fully understand it. God wanted unity between men and women. Unity is the glue that bonds men and women together. Five times God repeats this formula in the Old and New Testaments, so it must be important. In Mark's Gospel, it's followed by saying, what God has joined together, let no human being put asunder or tear apart. That's how it's expressed in the Greek. Sex is the physical expression of a spiritual truth. Secondly, to promote enjoyment. Too many couples use sexuality as punishment against one another. And we have a PowerPoint here. Marriage ends up like this couple. The most romantic thing that we've done in six weeks is to put our underwear on the washing machine together. <laughs> and we laugh, but there's a truth there that so often we feel out of sorts, out of touch with our mate. I came through, uh, across a book a few years back with an unfortunate title, but it communicates an important point about marital sexuality. God designed sex to be so much more than a physical act. And this book makes the point. The book is entitled Porn for Women. Look at the first picture. Some of you were all ready for something, weren't you? Here, the picture says, <clears throat> I made some Naman Ranch lamb tenderloin with minced garlic sprinkled with fresh ground pepper and sautéed in an Indonesian soy sauce for dinner. I hope that sounds okay, love. Next picture. Oh, look, the NFL playoffs are today. I'll bet we'll have no trouble at all finding parking places at the Arts and Crafts Fair. Or the next one. <clears throat> Guy. Looking through the want ads, sweetheart, why don't I get the minivan and we'll stop for something fun and get that for you to drive around? And finally, as soon as I finish the laundry, I'll do the grocery shopping. Tell you what, let me take the kids along with me so you can just relax and kick up for a little while. If we practiced things like that in our relationships, 
Just imagine how different it might be. I hope you guys had your ears on. Kevin Lehman, uh, who is an author that, in fact, we just used for a Sunday school series that we did this fall, but he wrote a book called Sex Begins in the Kitchen, and the punchline is that sex is a relationship, not an act. Sex is a relationship between a man and woman, not an event. It is a canvas, a masterpiece that we create together. It's not something just a ticket to an event. A friend gave me uh, this anniversary card, and there's a little picture on the, of the couple on the screen there. But it says, true love is not smooching in a parked car, and the guy runs out of gas, and the gal says she loves him. It's years later when they're smooching in the living room, and he runs out of gas, and she says, I love you. Thank you. I'm trying. Why is it that God created our sexuality? Well, we looked at to pro, uh, promote unity, to provide enjoyment. Thirdly, to produce children. The very first command that God gives to humanity was to be fruitful and to multiply the earth in Genesis chapter 1. And it appears that that's the only command that humans have taken very seriously and managed to keep. The sad thing is that for many couples, the only benefit of sex is uh, basically this one. But there is no pleasure, no unity in their relationship. Sex is too often displeasure. Sex is too often conflict. And I believe the reason that we don't understand biblical sex is God designed you in three dimensions. The spirit, the soul, and body. And you are a spiritual being because you can communicate with the almighty God, creator of everything, including our sexuality. We also are an emotional being. And we can have relationships with one another as humans and a special relationship called marriage that God ordained, created, and has blessed. And you are also a physical being. God's intention is for you to experience sex in all three dimensions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, it says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. It is written, the two shall become one flesh. Another one of those times when he, God shares that formula. Woman number two on your outline is that God gives us boundaries. God gives us boundaries in which to have the freedom of expressing our sexuality. God's counsel has stood the tests of time. And today, we're specifically looking at marital sex. But God gave us boundaries and guidelines and instructions for how to have healthy sexual relationships with our husband or our wife within a marriage relationship. So let me make some suggestions. Uh, first of all, develop a healthy attitude about sex and about your sexuality. Your most important sex organ is this. Now for those that are getting this on the internet or on CD, I'm pointing to my head. <laughs> but how you think makes all the difference. And the problem is wrong thoughts which lead to wrong attitudes. Too much of the world's suggestions get through, not enough of the scripture gets through to teach us our beliefs. 
how we believe determines our behavior. Our attitudes determine our actions. Do these thoughts, where do these wrong thoughts that we get so often, where do they come from? Basically everywhere. Think about it. Started when we were kids on the schoolyard and all the misinformation we got there. Our friends, our media, the high school locker room and all the misinformation we got there. Novels, TV, movies, even the church, even well-meaning Christians, sometimes dispensing things that are not true and are not God's truth. So, how do we get a healthy attitude? How do we have a right attitude about our sexuality? And basically, I believe it's by accepting and living out what God says in his word. You've got to read the owner's manual. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sex is a gift from God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, it says, For everything that God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected. All is to be received with a prayer of thanksgiving. That includes our sexuality. Sex is not sinful. It's not dirty. It's not a necessary evil. The Bible says sexuality was created good for men and for women. And what's bad is the perversion of sex, the abuse of sex, the misuse of it. Satan trusts that, that the good can be twisted and distorted and perverted. It can be changed, that it can become something that looks evil, but that's not what God intended. But secondly, lovemaking in marriage is a sacred activity. It's not dirty, it's not bad, it's holy. I might suggest that it's even worship because my philosophy of worship is we worship our God 24-7. That's why God set boundaries for sexuality. The Bible says that it's reserved for marriage only. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, honor marriage and guard the sacredness, the um, and guard the sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. A Christian woman came to me for some counseling advice, and she started off by saying, you know, I was taught all my childhood and all my youth that sex was no, 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 no. And then we had a 30-minute ceremony, and all of a sudden it was supposed to be yes, 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 yes. Parents, I don't think we need to put as much emphasis on the no as we do on the wait. And there's a big difference. Because no seems to connotate it's a bad thing, it's wrong, it's dirty, it's evil. But wait says, wait for God's timing. Wait for your understanding and God's principles. Wait for living out God's boundaries in all areas of your life, including this one. Wait for God's place and time within the bonds of a marriage. Thirdly, God wants husbands and wives to enjoy one another's bodies. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, Be happy, yes, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her tenderness and her tender embrace satisfy you always. Let her love alone fill you with delight. Check out Proverbs chapter 5 for many more principles about our sexuality. But that phrase, let her love alone fill you with delight, 
That Hebrew word there means to be enthralled, to be intoxicated in love and delight for your mate. And fourthly, when sex is properly used by a husband and wife, it glorifies God. Because when we do what God says in his word, and when we practice what God indicates in his word, we are bringing glory to God. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, Use every part of your body to glorify God. Researchers have found that 54% of men and 37, I'm sorry, 54% of women, 37% of men have a low body image. They don't like their bodies, and it gets in the way of healthy sexuality. And God says, I made your body good. Glorify God even in your body, using it as God has intended. And Roman numeral number two, number two on your outlines, if you're following along. Very important to discuss your feelings and your needs, your ideas and your needs that you may have with your mate. Talk honestly, talk openly regarding your sexual needs. Great sex results from great communication. In fact, sexuality is part of communication, of how humans communicate. It is one of the most um, wonderful uh, things that God has demonstrated for us in human relationships of how we communicate. I often tell teenagers, what's the one thing you want to tell your mate someday that you've never told anybody else? And when you're setting your standards, and if you use that as your barometer, then all of a sudden you realize how important our sexuality is to be preserved and to save until marriage, rather than to experiment with it outside the bounds of what God indicates. God's word says that sex is not purely physical. It is deeply intimate to our very core, and it is healthy. In fact, I was reading in a uh, marriage partnership magazine, a Christian magazine, what sex can do for you. It's, it wards off heart attack, frequent sexual intercourse, um, twi uh, once or twice a week, lowers the chances of a fatal heart attack. That sounds pretty good. It improves your sleep. It improves your sleep, orgasm, uh, causes a surge in um, oxygen and endorphins, and that will help people sleep. And thirdly, it makes you look younger. Hey. God created as health-giving, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. The depth of intimacy is often lacking in relationships, and that's one of the problems with premarital sex, because you end up becoming bedmates before you become soulmates. A and to compensate, we then dilute what it means to be a soulmate with one another. Physical sex does not cement the relationship, because that kind of cement cracks and deteriorates over time under stress. Godly intimacy is a cement that won't crack under pressures, the pressures of life. And when I get asked to do weddings, I usually do four sessions before the wedding, a minimum of four sessions, then do the wedding ceremony, and then I do three follow-up sessions, a three-month, a six-month, and a one-year follow-up. And I have found that couples listen a whole lot better after the wedding license than they did before. It's one of the reasons I do that. But one of the challenges that I give couples in their premarital counseling is that if you want to experience God's fullest blessings on your marriage, and if you are sexually active, to put that on hold. 
to put your sexual activity on hold until after the wedding. Many get upset with me. In fact, one guy says, hey, I've been married three times, and I've never had to do that before. Well, duh. Try something new. It's apparently not work. But I've had several come to me over the years afterwards, after they've been married, sometimes at one of these follow-up visits, sometimes later on they'll send me a note. And they said, Pastor Bill, you were right on. You were right on. That product of discipline that we used in our marriage relationship has been helpful. We're glad that you shared that challenge with us. So discuss your feelings and needs. In Proverbs 24, 26, it says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. A kiss on the lips. What a beautiful expression of honest communication with one another. And when you speak truthfully to your mate, it's a sign that you love them. And too often, especially regarding sex, we play all sorts of games or we sweep the issues underneath the rug, hoping that we don't have to deal with them. Learn your mate's love language. Learn your spouse's love language. It's an important principle. In Proverbs 13, 17, it says, Reliable communication permits progress and growth. I've got some homework for the married couple sitting here this morning. I want you to schedule a sit-down, face-to-face, heart-to-heart discussion with one another about sex and sexuality in your marriage relationship. And I want you to bring two lists to the table. The first list is what I love about our relationship right now. And that's not just sexuality. That's all of our relationship. And the second is what I'd like to see different in our intimacy or in our sexuality in our marriage relationship. A couple of ground rules for doing that exercise. First of all, make I statements, not you statements. I statements about what's going on for you, not you statements pointing out because that tends to feel like an accusation or it's all their fault or they're being blamed. So say, you know, here's what I need in the relationship. But secondly, a spirit of cooperation and unity. No blaming, no looking for fault in this. We're working towards a goal together. And so keep it in the spirit of cooperation and unity. And thirdly, do it in a spirit of, uh, the spirit of encouragement, of lifting one another, of building one another up, not the little picking away at one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, encourage one another, build one another up. Thirdly, and flip it over to the back side of your outline, determine what's best for both of you. Determine what's best for both of you because sexuality was never designed to be solo in God's plan. It's a duet. It's harmony. It's communication. It's glorifying God together, hand in hand. It involves two people, which means that you have to make adjustments. Men and women are not equal. Never have been equal. You see, women are vastly superior to men, now wait till I finish the sentence, are vastly superior to men at being women. And you know something? Men are vastly superior to women at being men. But we are vastly different in how God made us, how God wired us. But God did make it that way, and he will help you to figure it out how it best works for your relationship. You see, our culture teaches us, what can I get? How soon can I get it? 
And it should be what God says. What can I give? And how soon can I give it to bless my mate? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality that works best for both of you. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve one another, whether in bed or out. When you married, you gave your mate rights to your body. You give yourself to the other person. And the Bible teaches, use your body to meet the sexual needs of your spouse. Giving. Culture teaches getting, receiving. It's all about me. It's what I want. It teaches impatience. It teaches instant gratification. The Bible teaches patience. It teaches self-control. It teaches love. It teaches having the other's interests at heart. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, You husbands must be careful of your wives, being thoughtful of their needs. You've got to learn what your mate needs. You've got to be a student of your mate. It's a discovery process that happens over time and with prayer. One lady said that women in their preteens need loving. Women in their teens need fun. Women in their 20s need romance. Women in their 30s, their 30s need admiration. And in their 40s, they need security. In their 50s, they need cash. <laughs> the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 12 says, you have made me eager for love. Isn't that a greeting you would like at the door when you come home from work? They did a study and they had uh, women and men list phrases that were kind of meaning, words or phrases that were kind of meaningful for them. And here's um, uh, some that the women suggest. Uh, caress, praise, pamper, relish, savor, massage, make plans, empathize, serenade, compliment, support, tantalize, humor, uh, cuddle, Hug, excite, pacify, stroke, protect, phone calls, note, uh, forgive, uh, sacrifice for, entertain, swim, nourish, resuscitate, respect, resuscitate. <laughs> That's what they said. Tease, flirt, commit, snuggle, snooze, shuff, snuffle. Don't know that one either. Something new I can try. Elevate, enervate, serve. Love, rib, salivate, biddle, doodle, hokey pokey, hanky panky, flip, flop, fly, wow, amaze, flabbergast, um, exchange, idolize, worship, then go back, Jack, and do it again. <laughs> so I thought I'd read for you also the list of what men said in this survey and how do men satisfy, or how do you satisfy a man every time? Uh, here's their list show up naked. There are differences between men and women. Men underestimate the importance of atmosphere, of ambiance. They fail to see that sexuality is something that is 24-7, not something that is just for a quickie. And Song of Solomon was God's sexual guidebook. Several suggestions in there of ways to be intimate in ways that are good for both the man and the woman. 
And he lists many examples. And I put some of those on your outline there on the back side. You can look through those, point A. But I want to go to point B now. And I want to say a few words regarding commitment. I challenge each married person here to throw out what the world has said about sex and all of its aberrations and to begin to develop God's healthy attitude about your sexuality, about who you are as a sexual being created by your creator, God. I want you to commit to have a sit-down, face-to-face talk with one another, and I want you to come in a giving spirit as you approach one another rather than a getting spirit, what I can get out of it. I want you to share, this is what I love about you. This is what I'd like to see. And I want to end with this cartoon of Pickle, my favorite comic theologian. Remember how you used to sit really close to me? Oh, like this, as he scoots over. You used to always hold my hand. Mm-hmm. And you used to lean over and you used to steal a kiss. Peck, a little kiss there. And then you used to nibble on the back of my neck. Hey, where are you going? I have to get my teeth. How will we be what God wants us to be in our relationships? I want you to think and pray about that and maybe take up the challenge if you're married. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It's sometimes uncomfortable and awkward. It sometimes seems to require more than we feel we can give. And yet you have given us your spirit to help us to both understand your word and to live it out in our lives and in our relationships. God, we just ask your blessing on the offering that we give this morning and also as they will bring their cans up and their checks and offerings for covenant world relief, that you will bless them. We pray this in your name. Amen.